0: Hello. <laughs> Sorry we're late. I'm late. You're not.
1: <laughs> um, we'll just start with uh, acknowledgment of country today. We acknowledge that the land that we're meeting on today is the traditional lands of the Ghana people, and um, that Though the Ghana people are the traditional custodians of the land, sovereignty has never been ceded and a treaty has not been signed. We respect the spiritual relationship with their country and acknowledge that the, their cultural and heritage beliefs are still as important to the living Ghana people today. We pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. And, um, sorry always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, I'd also like to uh, pay respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander members of the disabled, deaf and hard of of hearing community and um, also the activists and uh, leaders who have um, fought for our rights, our access and inclusion. May we learn from them and may we continue their work. So, my name is Ruby Allegra and I am a queer, disabled artist and activist and I'm here interviewing the wonderful Carly Finlay today here about her beautiful new book, Say Hello. Hello, Carly. Hello. Um, I think what we'll we'll just do quickly um, to start with is we'll do a quick um, visual description of the stage here. Um, So, uh, Carly and Ruby are sitting um, in front of a big red velvet curtain. Carly is sitting on the left-hand side of the stage. She has a red face and curly brown hair and is wearing a incredible uh, dark green patterned dress over the top of a, would you say coral, coral colored top mm. and leggings yes. and I'm Ruby I'm sitting on the right hand to the right of Carly I am a white person with short yellow curly hair I am wearing a multi-colored striped um, overalls over the top of a green striped top and to our right um, is sitting our Auslan interpreter so let's get started.
0: Thank you. I think we wanted to launch into aerobics odd style because we're uh, yes. wearing this. Yes. Yes. So, uh, locomotion, this. I think, would be great. Everybody's g- doing the brand new dance now. <laughs> Come on, baby, do the locomotion. Yep,
1: it feels, yeah, that's very much what it feels like wearing <laughs> these. Um, Kylie's better at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Um, Thank you for writing this first of all Carly, I, I very much enjoyed reading it and learning from it and laughing at it and crying <laughs> and uh, violently nodding quite frequently through it. Um, I guess f- uh, first up I'd like to ask you about your experience of writing. Say hello, um, what prompted you to
0: write this book? Um, I had been writing for a long time, Um, I had been writing a blog and then moving to writing for the media and I thought that the next step would be to write a book. I'd been reading lots of work by female writers, um, Clementine Ford, Lindy West, Roxane Gay. I read their memoirs in 2016 and I thought I'd like to write one. Uh, in the same vein as they had, where it was memoir but quite instructional as well. And so I wrote down heaps of ideas on my iPad over the Christmas break and then uh, didn't tell anyone, but I had a couple of publishers interested in in my book and I thought, I didn't tell anyone I'm writing a book. Mm. And uh, I think the idea of writing, getting something down, um, makes you accountable Mm -hmm. and it kind of tells the universe that you're writing. I don't believe in woo-woo, I just got asked if I needed to be prayed for at the airport. Uh, do not believe in any of that. Uh, but I, <laughs> but I, did, I did sort of tell myself and tell the universe that I was going to write a book, and so I had interest. And then uh, the publishers, uh, I, I got an agent, and they sent lots of proposals out to different publishers and I had lots of publishers interested, and I chose HarperCollins, and then I started writing. In hindsight, I probably should have started writing bef- properly before uh, I got a book deal, because <laughs> I was a big, mm, maybe procrastinator, I don't know. Uh, I write a lot on my, on my iPad in bed, and it's really hard to scroll. Like, I don't really have any proper filing system, and so it's, it's very hard to write a book on your iPad. I do not recommend that. And I did say at my, um, my Melbourne launch that if I was rich and when I write another book, I'm going to get a projector and put it on the wall, like, over to the wall so I can scroll on the wall. That's my That's like ideal. Um, and writing the book was really hard, I would say. It was probably the hardest thing I've done, although promoting the book's probably been harder. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I had to draw on a lot of experiences that were quite difficult, so that was hard, like, lots of experiences about ableism, so that's discrimination towards disabled people. Um, I had to deal with, like, thinking about um, my past and... Not that I had a super difficult past, but I had to think about um, how children treated me at school. And I also had to make a decision how I was going to write about that without feeling or seeming like a victim. Because it's quite hard to constantly write about ableism without being seen like you're a victim. So I had to think about the times when I wasn't such a good person either Mm -hmm. and reflect on that, reflect on my own internalised and externalised ableism. And, um, you know, when I hadn't been such a good friend. Uh, so that was hard. Um, but I think just in the end, the first draft wasn't too bad. Like, I probably took six months or so. But then, uh, actually, it, in a couple of days, it's two years since I got my book deal with Collins. Mm-hmm. So that's like a two-year anniversary. Um, but writing the second and third drafts were really hard. Because by when I was writing the first draft, I didn't have a part-time job that was... Well, I was doing that and freelancing. But then when I was writing the second and third drafts and fourth drafts, I had a part-time job. I still have it. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to fit it all in mm-hmm. with all my other freelancing as well, so that, that was really hard.
1: Yeah, I can imagine striking a, a balance would yeah. have been tricky. And I guess, mm-hmm. um, as a disabled person, the, the kind of added layer of dealing with everyday Mm. Um, access needs and um, fatigue and mm. um, pain and things like that. How did you? Yeah. How did you find? A, how did you find a way to balance that um. in this process of of writing a book? Yep. Which isn't just a a small thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, writing the book wasn't so bad because, as I said, I did a lot in bed, yep. which involved wearing pajamas and falling asleep a lot. Um, but. The third draft I I did during the Melbourne Fringe Festival, and I work at Melbourne Fringe Festival, and that was not a good idea to time that with that uh, because it was really hard, but fortunately my hours were changed Um, during the festival. Mm -hmm. We started at 12 o'clock instead of 10 o'clock, and that meant that I could get in a good three hours of writing before work and then go And go to work and go to the festival and then stay up till midnight and then do it all again the next day. Uh, That was a bit of a push. I was pretty tired after that, got a bit Mm -hmm. sick. Uh, Probably through all the things, not just the writing. Um, But the thing that I found hard with the access, um, but big props to HarperCollins, is that, they're my publisher, um, uh, the promotion of the book uh, had to be accessible for me, and accessible for my audience as well, because I know that so many of my audience identify as disabled or chronically ill. Mm -hmm. So, (coughs) um, in organising the access, I had to make sure that it was timed so that I didn't have um, my book tour crammed into four weeks, which Mm -hmm. is sort of the time that uh, other authors do, um, because you don't generally get paid on a book tour, Mm -hmm. so I needed to still work. Um, And also, I didn't want to be flying every day to a different city. So this is my last event for my book tour which is a bit sad but good too because it's been going since January yeah. and <laughs> I don't, yeah, you know for a while I was in three cities in a, in a week. There was a couple of weeks there when I had a you know number of capital cities in a week um, but the other thing is making sure it's accommodating for my audience mm-hmm. and that I sometimes think of the authors that are haven't considered access and they don't recognise their privilege Mm. and they can just turn up and talk, not even thinking of how their audience will get in. But I know if I did that uh, or didn't do that, then I would be blasted and I don't want to be, I want to be welcoming to my audience. And so I've had to make sure at most of my events, there's been an Auslan interpreter. um, We recorded the events as well. And when I have some time, I will um, put them on my website and um, transcribe them as well, Mm. or I'll pay someone to do that. So I've had to budget for that transcription out of my own money. I've wanted my people to be paid, the people that are interviewing me, so Ruby will be paid for this. Um, I've also wanted there to be accessible venues and and there's been, you know, but so I literally haven't been able to just turn up and talk and I've talked to other authors and said, what do you do when when you do a book launch? And they said, we just turn up and talk. But I don't have the privilege of that or (laughs) perhaps I recognise my privilege in being able to make it accessible for people. Yeah. So that, that's kind of been hard because for sure. yep. I, I would love it if the venues took care and I must say Marion Cultural Centre has been amazing in doing mm. that. You know, I, I don't even think I asked for an interpreter. It was just told I was just told that we were gonna have one, so thank you. I don't know your name, I'm sorry. Sorry, do you have to <laughs> interpret that as well? Heather hi Heather, Heather. thank you so Heather. much. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh sorry. <laughs>
1: And I guess I guess that ties in with um, we we talk a lot about um, access and inclusion for for disabled people in um, predominantly uh, participation kind of um, circles I think, uh, uh, but there's rarely um, much discussion of inclusion and access for disabled people from from the other side of that in terms of leadership mm-hmm. and um, performance. You mm-hmm. know, you you, you talk. You, you go to a concert and the concert might be accessible to someone to, to go and watch but not to perform and the same mm. with you know schools and churches um, mm. and so I guess um, wi- wi- I, you've got quite a lot of experience with public speaking and, and again with planning this book tour and all of that I guess um, how has that what has that taught you about the need for talking more about Access w- for mm.
0: leadership as well as mm. spectating yeah, and that's participation. A great, that's a great point. Um, it's not, not so much to do with m- my role as a as a writer on tour, but um, mm. I was just I was literally just writing this yesterday in my job at Melbourne Fringe, and we've been trying to teach artists about um, accessibility in their venues. And I said, you know, one of the things I typed is, um, can your audience? what you perform and can your disabled performers perform mm. on an accessible stage because so many of the places we go to don't have a ramp for the stage or yeah. don't have an accessible bathroom. Um, there was one venue that was considered for my tour that um, was accessible to get into but didn't have an accessible bathroom and they said you can go down the street and I said no we can't so we had to move it. Mm-hmm. And um, But it's hard because I don't want to be seen difficult because I want to sell books um, but I also feel like I'm constantly educating people and I really hope to do some talks on this because it's something that I've seen and even just talking to other authors they've not even considered the accessibility needs and yeah. I think it's really important because it just opens up a whole new market.
1: Yep yeah yep. and something you talked about a lot in your book was this concept of um, emotional labor mm-hmm. and um, the pressure which is quite often placed on disabled people to be um, providing the education mm. and doing the work um, for allies for people who would like to be able to support the disabled community in terms of access and inclusion mm-hmm. um, and and that can be quite a draining thing and quite a tiring thing and mm. and I guess uh, what i would like I would be interested to hear from you about is uh, sort of i guess your experience of that and perhaps any advice that you might have for either disabled people kind of n- negotiating um, how they how they deal with the demand of emotional labor but also mm. for for non disabled people um in their approach to allyship. Yeah,
0: yeah great. That's a right, Great question. Um my editor Nicola, who's wonderful, I was quite nervous, I guess, about working with a non disabled editor because um I, I wasn't I didn't have low expectations, but um sometimes we constantly have to Prove the ableism that happens, but she just got it, it was amazing. And she was so great and we had such a great relationship and she was writing a lot of oh fuck in the margin because she couldn't believe what was happening to me. And then she wrote a lot of I love your mum as well in the margin, which is great. And my mum has got this massive fan club now. Um, Nicola had asked me to uh, write a chapter on emotional labour at the end of my time writing the book in about the seventh and maybe sixth draft, she said, I want you to write a chapter on emotional labour. And then she also wanted me to write a chapter on the on the radio interview that happened last year. And I said to her, that's emotional labour in itself, like writing yep. about <laughs> emotional labour and explaining. And it was at the time Nanette from, by Hannah Gatsby* came out. And I said to her, I, I, can I just... I put this in the book, and it was a screenshot of Hannah with the caption below it, I identify as tired, and I said, can I just (laughs) do this? Um, I I ended up um, opening the chapter with that line from Hannah. Um, Yeah, the emotional labour is huge because you constantly have to explain, and one of the good things about writing a book is being able to um, talk about all the difficult things that have happened with distance between me and the reader because when I talk about discrimination, on Facebook. Um, say, for example, there was a time when I was uh, not letting to a taxi and that's been many times. Um, and I put this on Facebook, I wrote about it, it, it happened to me uh, most recently after my Melbourne book launch when it was 45 degrees and the taxi driver refused me. Um, they're never very blatant about it, they just don't like to look at me and don't want to take me. Anyway, um, and I wrote about it on Facebook and I even said, like, no devil's advocates because the emotional labour involved in Mm -hmm. fending off those comments, like, oh, he must have been scared or I could understand why he didn't Mm -hmm. want to take you. I can understand why he thought your face might ruin his seats. Um, That's ridiculous in itself. Mm -hmm. Like, there's kind of this double discrimination happening. There's the Mm -hmm. initial discrimination and then there's the secondary when you write about it. So that has been a good thing about the book where I haven't had anyone come up to me or write about that kind of stuff that I talk about and kind of argue with me. So that's good. Um, One of the really good things that happened to me recently, and you asked about allies, Ruby, um, was I got asked to do a media interview about a situation that happened in America where a woman with ichthyosis, the skin condition I have, and her baby were asked to leave a plane. And so she... Took it up with American Airlines, and it was a massive news story in America, and it made its way to Australia. And so the AVC contacted me for an interview, and I said, Yes, that's fine, because they're generally great to work with. And um, sorry, generally great, uh, not last year. Um, but uh, she was great in thanking me for my time. And she said, I know this is a lot of emotional labour for you, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, I really respect you. If you don't want to do it, thanks for your work. And I did it, it was fine. But then I just said no to the other interviews that I got. But then I had this interview request from an American man who has ichthyosis. And um, this was the first time he was ever going to write about his ichthyosis. So there's 25 types of ichthyosis and there's where types were, that could pass where you, you wouldn't look like you've had a skin condition and there's types like mine where it's very obvious. And he had the type that you could pass. And he uh, said to me, Hey, Carly, I want to do an interview with you. And I said, Oh, sorry, um, I'm all worn out. Like, you know, I was in the middle of the book tour, this is in about March, I'd say. And I said, But you can take a quote from my blog. Um, I've written about it a lot. Take a quote from the article I just wrote, you know, gave an interview for if you want. And I said, best of luck. And he said, um, what, you can't even offer five minutes for a Skype? And I said, no. I said, I'm really tired. And this is the thing, we're setting boundaries. It's really hard mm. to set boundaries sometimes with people that just don't get it. They're very, very pressure pressury. You said a word, pressury. It is now. Okay. Um, and so he then came back. And I, actually, he then came back and said, um, what, you, you, really, you really can't do it. And I said, I've actually been doing this, like, every day of my book tour. I've done about 50 interviews, all mentioning ichthyosis in the last two months. Um, I think I've done enough. And I've written for the last 10 years on ichthyosis. Mm. And he was really angry at me, and I just thought, when, when will it be enough, mm. you know? And sometimes it's harder to set the boundaries with other disabled people. Oh, or not sure. that he identified as disabled, I don't think. He got the interview um, from an organisation, and from the woman involved on the plane. But you know, it was a lot of pressure, and it was mm. annoying. Mm. He blocked me on Twitter. Mm. Right,
1: lovely. <laughs> I, I guess that also leads into something um, that uh, else, which is quite often experienced by disabled people and and people from really any marginalised background, is that mm. um, quite often, I t- in terms, I guess, of um, activism and um, education. Uh, marginalized people seem to be kind of held to a higher standard Mm. than people with privilege. Um, Uh That, you know, there's no room for error. There's no Mm. room for for change or growth or um, mistakes to be made. Um, Mm. And that can come from uh, either the broader public or people within our own community. Mm. And um, Mm. it makes it really tricky, I guess. Um, So I... I think for you as well, p- particularly given that you're um, a person who quite often has quite a, a public and visible profile, um, how do you kind of mm. um, cope with that? Yeah. Or, or, or strike a balance between um, kind of. Um, learning more and changing and growing mm-hmm. and, and coping with that kind of uh, elevated level of pressure that's placed on you mm-hmm. as a disabled person to get everything right and to say mm-hmm. everything correctly mm-hmm. and um,
0: not to make any mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably been the hardest thing about writing my book. Mm-hmm. Um, when I wrote my book. Uh, when I was in the first draft and I got my book deal and um, I'd signed up to a speaking agency, a mainstream speaking agency, and um, it had the word inspiring in the title. and I, uh, Inspiring is quite a bad word in the disability community um, because it's seen that we're not supposed to be inspiring just for getting out of bed, which is Mm -hmm. true. But this is a mainstream agency and... um, It was not only disabled people, Mm -hmm. and I got blasted for that. Um, I lost a lot of friends. Um, And I was told that I could either do mainstream or be an activist, not both. Um, And I lost a lot of friends. Um, For me, it's tricky because I don't want to be an authority on something I'm not and I pass on things that I don't know about. Um, You know, I had a prominent TV show contact me to be a panellist, a regular panellist and I said, um, and they wanted me to talk about things like the NDIS and about disability support pension and I said I don't think I can because I don't receive those things, it's not for me to do yep. and, I, and I'll and i pass that on to people because I have no experience of that and mm-hmm. I will admit to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can talk to my own experience and talk to the research I've done in other things but mm-hmm. ultimately it's up to those people that have that lived experience and you say to that talk quite about quite a few times throughout the book that you,
1: you you make it very clear that it is about your experiences <laughs> and that you're not there to represent everyone and exactly. be an authority on yeah. the entire disabled community. Yeah,
0: um, and then and then there are the people in the main, you know, like non-disabled people that kind of, are, or even disabled people, that are waiting to chip you up. I, uh, I've, I have found the, the media tour quite a, and the book tour, like a lot of pressure and um, and, you know, there's been some times where I've had to set boundaries and I just had um, a friend die last week and I've been really strict on the boundaries that I've set and mm-hmm. I've posted on social media and I've been talking about the burnout that I've experienced through the emotional labour. And um, I had someone say, oh, was the book too much for you, Carly? Hmm. And I said, no, mm-hmm. thanks. But, you know, why don't you go and write a book and see what it's like? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um I, it's, I, yeah and yeah. it's
0: really hard it's really hard to talk about, and we've been talking about this that it's even hard to talk about this stuff mm. because it's it's yeah it's difficult and it's scary it's scary to, to talk about this kind of stuff, this mm-hmm. pressure um, i I recently commented on something in the media, and I realized that I probably should stay in my lane but um I I saw, and when I say this, it's not about disability, but I I saw that Eddie Maguire had made some ridiculous comment about a woman who was an amputee, and I tweeted about it so I got a heap of requests from the news, and I made a really quick, um, I gave a really quick interview talking about um, how he is an example of dictating the way a non-disabled, white, rich man should do things, and I got a bunch of Emails and tweets from people calling reverse racism and telling me <laughs> and telling me how awful I am towards white men. Yeah. Mm. I them. mean, that doesn't worry me as much as the stuff from my own community, but yeah. I thought it was <laughs> quite funny. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> funny is
0: one way to put it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I guess on a
1: slightly different note, although mm. it's all kind of intertwined, um, I... The, the first time that I ever saw a a character a disabled character portrayed mm. in uh, mainstream media portrayed mm. by a disabled actor uh, was two weeks ago. Wow! Uh, in my entire life. Why did it take so long? Uh, I can't answer that. I don't know. <laughs> um, a- and and it was when I was watching the uh, TV series uh, special on yes. m- on Netflix um, by. Uh, uh, Ryan O'Connell. Yeah, yeah, and um, something which really struck me was th- that this was the first time I had seen someone who somewhat looked like me, mm. and who somewhat had uh, similar experiences and um, perspectives to me. And he, the the character, is a, a a cis white thin man, so he looks very different to me but that's the closest example of representation for myself. They've that got
0: to make disability palatable
1: that I've had. By
0: giving an attractive yeah. person, yeah. which is really sad.
1: So I think, you know, mm. when I and when I read um, your book, it was such a refreshing kind of example of um, experiences which seemed to really reflect a lot of my own, even though we both have very different experiences mm. as disabled people, mm. and I... Would love to hear kind of your perspective on on why this representation mm. is so important, yeah um, not just for for well, for the disabled community and for appearance mm. diversity mm. and and for yourself as well yeah,
0: I mean, I wrote my book for people who have ichthyosis. Um, I met this woman who probably is about probably ten years older than me, and she said that um, she'd never worn a dress without sleeves in the summer because she was worried and then she saw my Instagram not that I wear dresses without sleeves without unless there's something underneath because of comfort not because of shame but um she said that was because of me that she's changed her kind of way that she sees herself and I so she was in my mind when I was writing it um but there's also people that I talk to that are you know children and they're incredible um in wanting to tell their story now that i've told mine yesterday Uh, so it's the start of ichthyosis awareness month this week this Mm -hmm. this week um and i saw on facebook yesterday there was a little girl ashley in brisbane who i just met in brisbane actually and she just gave a speech to her class and i said i can't wait to um, read your speech and i and she her mum says it was because of your book that she's you know, being able oh, to tell you, tell the story. Um, I've had so many good comments from people that are disabled to say, I really understood this, and I think, like, the social model of disability, which mm-hmm. is that society is more disabling than our bodies, um, means that we relate so much mm. because of the ableism and yeah, the, the barriers we face, despite different diagnoses. Um, I've had so yeah, so many lovely bits of feedback from people who are disabled or have got ichthyosis or different skin conditions. Um, the first person that I that interviewed me who read my book was a woman with um, a severe skin condition in Melbourne, and she runs a blog called In the Raw, and she's so great. And uh, she liked to hear what sh- she said about my book, and uh, like to quote it back was real, a real privilege, I think, for me. Um, and also that teachers can now use it. Um, mm, lots, yes. lots of people ask me for further emotional labour, like, hey, can you explain this, or um, can you help me with this? And I said, hey, I've written a whole book. When that lady asked me if she could pray for me and then she said she wasn't going to, she was gonna offer me some skin advice. And I said, no, I've literally written a whole book about this. <laughs> uh, I should have direc- taken her to the airport bookshop. <laughs> that could be a good strategy. Uh, yeah, and she said she's a Christian, so it's all right. Uh, I, hope, I hope you're not here tonight. I mean, well, I hope you are here tonight, really, so you can get yeah. educated. But, it, it, you know, those, those kinds of interactions make it really difficult um, because you can't continue the conversation with kind of a non-tense feeling after you've told someone off for asking a stranger about their skin. Um, so I have written a book to give, literally give people the opportunity to buy it after they asked me a silly question mm-hmm. um yeah i've written the book as well to reassure little carly that it would be all right like yeah yeah it's been nice
1: your um, um a letter i think to your younger self i uh, definitely cried a lot yeah. during that
0: it was nice yeah. um i had a younger little carly moment the other day so yep. i wrote a lot about fandom in my book and um, yes I wrote about all the bands that have meant a lot to me, so Jack Jones, um, Savage Garden, and um, Bob Evans. And I went to see Jack Jones the other night, so I was a fan of Jack Jones from Southern Suns when I was nine. So long, nearly nearly 20 years ago now. No, no sorry, 30, sorry, nearly 30 years ago. Uh, <laughs> but I, it looks like nearly 20 years. <laughs> it <does>. um, <laughs> Good genetics. Uh, anyway, uh, and I said to my friend, should I give him the book? And She's like, yeah, yeah, give him the book. And that was so encouraging of me. And I was a bit nervous about it. I was feeling a bit a bit down last week. And um, I had the book on the front, like on the chair to give. And then she just pushes me up and, um, as he was leaving the stage. I shoved my book across the stage like as fast as I could throw it. And he got the book. And then afterwards, I talked to him. And I said, I've written about you in my book. And his eyes lit up. And it was amazing to be able to tell him. And then today, at the airport... Um, Bob Evans was in the Virgin Lounge and Bob is from Jebediah and he is my favourite and he sang at my wedding and he launched my book in Melbourne and I was fangirling, like, while he was interviewing me, it was amazing. Um, but he was in the Virgin Lounge <laughs> and we had a chat and he said he was listening to me on the Will Anderson podcast on the way up. So, you yeah. know, fandoms come full circle, so that's been really nice. So, little Carly would be very excited that all her male heartthrobs are... <laughs> Getting the book. Darren Hayes has apparently got the book too, but he hasn't said anything, so oh. he's out. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, um, he did. He's, he watched me on the project. Apparently, he's getting a lot of mentions on this tour, and <laughs> I think that he should be reciprocating. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Dimensions, because there hasn't been. He's got a, getting a lot of free publicity from you, has. I has. <laughs> I think that my book has single-handedly resurrected the career <laughs> of Darren Hayes. It's a, it's a claim that yeah. Yeah, it's happened here, <laughs> yep. Can someone yep. from Sony do the counts <laughs> of his albums? Um, when I was writing the book, uh, I wanted to quote Darren, and um, I wrote to Sony, and so, they said that it would be $1,000, to quote 17 words, and I said, I can't afford that. And so I didn't. I paraphrased it. And, but I think we could have come to an arrangement. Like, I really oh, do. For, sure. for the amount of times I've mentioned him on high-profile <laughs> media, it was on ABC Conversations. I mean, I met, we talked a lot about Darren on that show, and also he's been played a lot when I've been on the radio, so... Hmm. I think, um, th- that and that's something that, that
1: you do talk about a lot throughout the book is kind of your uh, experience with being a fangirl and mm-hmm. um, being part of f- fan bases and yeah. I relate to that as There's well. There's such c- a big community. Isn't yeah, it? there yeah. is. I, d- I definitely went through a phase, so I yeah. think if I share who it was, I'd probably lose a bit of credibility. who? tell me. Uh, it's a it safe space
0: here. It was One Direction. That's amazing. When I was in, yeah. Have yeah, you yeah. seen that, that movie, Boy Band Fangirl? Oh my god, uh, no, god, it's amazing! So good. There's um, a One Direction fan on there who you'll love. Amazing, amazing. Um, but do you know the interesting thing? Some of the reviews, like most of the reviews have been great, but some of the reviews of my book have really criticised my fandom. And, um, yeah, that's been really hard to take because that's been the joy of writing the book. Like, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, but well, I, I, yeah. Got
1: a, I got a real sense of um, when you were kind of talking about your, your experience <laughs> being part of those communities. And you did call them communities mm. and I think um that that's something that I resonated with and probably hadn't even thought about was mm. was this idea that you found community with a group of people that had similar interests and and passion about something that you also did mm-hmm. and finding that community was something that was important it perhaps in place of of um places where you didn't have yeah. a sense of community yeah. in school or with friendship circles and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's I think what I think important. that's something that's really important. Yeah. So um, It was
0: definitely and um yeah, it's been it's been weird because it's kinda come full circle. I've mm-hmm. got people now that come up to me mm. that say I'm a fan of you and I'm pretty really excited at that. And I also wanna treat them really well because I've sometimes met idols who haven't reciprocated so mm-hmm. I always want to you know make time and so there'll be a signing table out the front if you want and you can take a selfie if you want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we'll uh, we'll do I'll ask one more question mm-hmm. and then we'll open it up to some okay. audience questions before <laughs> we start the signing. Yes um and and I think um there may be some people here today or listening at home who mm-hmm. w- although may have the best intentions, may not get around to starting or finishing reading your book.
0: Or writing a book. Um,
1: (laughs) And if that is the case, what is one thing that you, one message or one theme, one thing
0: that you would like to get across to these people? Uh Um, Well, I think the book is for two audiences. It's for the non-disabled person to learn how to be a better ally and also the disabled person to get to love themselves and I think that um, it's so much, it, it's really, really hard to shake off that internalised ableism and to um, accept the way you are And um, but it's a lot easier to love yourself than to hate yourself so I think for those of you who feel really um, like you don't belong or that you should be changing, you know, it's so important to surround yourself with other people and to um, you know, read up and find other disability mentors and get to love yourself and love them and and have them as role models. Um, One thing else I'd like to mention as well is I'm editing Growing Up Disabled in Australia, Mm -hmm. which is a um, book through Black Ink Books, an anthology, and it's like Growing Up Aboriginal, Growing Up African, Growing Up Queer, which is out in June, and... um, the submissions are still open. So submissions are open until the 31st of May. So if you identify as disabled or chronically ill or deaf or... Oh, my gosh, there's a little baby. Look. Oh, hello, baby. It's got purple hair. Sorry, they've got purple hair. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> meow. <laughs> uh, if you identify... <laughs> if you identify as disabled, chronically ill, mentally ill... Um, or person with disability, you are very welcome to submit a um, piece between one thousand and four thousand 4,000 words until the 31st of May. Cool. So I will be reading all of them. Is I'm that information p- available on your uh, blog? It, on it your isn't. Uh, yes, it is. It's available on my blog. Sorry, it's been so long since the announcement was made. Uh, it is available on my blog, but you can Google Black Ink Books or Growing Up Disabled in Australia, or I've tweeted about it. I'll also post it back in the event, in the Facebook event mm-hmm. tomorrow. Um, yes, yeah, so I'd love to read your stories if you want to. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for you. sitting with me and chatting with me. It's been me. fun. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Can I put my jacket on and eat a piece of cheese before we go to questions? Uh, yeah, of course you can.
1: Um, <laughs> while you're doing that, I might okay. just um, talk about, uh, just quickly, the fact that you set up a, um, a priority queue yes. for people for the signing who um, aren't able to stand for long periods of time, so um, you don't have to wait around in a a queue if you need Mm -hmm. somewhere to sit or um, can't wait for long periods of time.
0: And sorry it took so long for me to do this to the end of the book tour but um, yeah people have been talking about how they couldn't wait and I know how hard it can be to stand up even though I sometimes stood for seven hours to meet Darren Hayes. I've still done it with pain Uh, but if you want to stand for seven hours to meet me that would be quite ridiculous. and also a bit ambitious of me to think that you would <laughs> yet. But would. just wait till Darren and I do a collaboration.
1: <laughs> Can't wait for that. Um, so we might, we might <laughs> open up for a few audience questions. Um, just
0: quickly. Hi Carly, it's been Hi. about eight years since we've met. Hello. How are you? Good. I can't see you. What's your Sorry, name? So Michelle. Oh, Michelle, you're a savage gun fam. That's what I was... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was just going to say, do I have to go beat Darren up for you too? <laughs> no, it's fine. Are you sure? um, but just remind him I've got a book out. <laughs> hey, everyone tweet him at the end of this. Carly's talked a lot about you. Show us some love. <laughs> Um, Hi, Carly. Hi. Um, First, I just wanted to say um, I loved your book. Thank you. Um, So, you were talking about um, sort of the emotional labour and sort of the burnout. And I suppose I wanted to know, like, in your book, you talked a lot about your experiences with, you know, ableism Mm -hmm. and um, um, microaggressions. And I just wondered, um, what do you do in terms of, like, self-care so that, you know, you're not... Um, affecting your you know mental yeah. well-being? Um, yeah I joked at, the other, at another thing I did last week I probably need to read a book on that because I'm not very good at it um, I'm not very good at self-care I'm more I don't know like I do I do have those posts sometimes that I make that I say I'm setting boundaries like don't send me stuff about activism or don't tag me and things people still do um I don't I'm not very good at switching off like I had a yeah I had an internet situation uh, or situation as uh, as i 've sometimes called it um, today and yesterday and i just can't like, i can 't stop reading it 's so ridiculous uh, but I did watch the bold type today without the internet, which was a start um, yeah i 'm not very good at it i don't know i don 't know um, but i do listen i do listen to podcasts and um I, lis- I listen to audiobooks as well, which is a bit of a switch off as well. So I try to, to try to read and listen more to other things to get out of my head. But it can be hard. Like it can be hard when like life is your work, work is your life. So I have no advice. I'm sorry. Maybe someone else in the room does. <laughs> Maybe I'll write a book about it. Maybe I should read that book that um, this subtle art of not giving an F. Maybe I should re- read that. <laughs> Hello Carly. Hi Maria. You are so my manager oh, so at Kmart. Not Kmart, the tax office, sorry. It's so lovely to see you. You too, thank you. i my question is I'm I'm curious about the 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 the, benef- the greatest benefit for you mm. to
1: share your memoir and mm. also the greatest disadvantage.
0: Oh, good right, good question. Mm. Well, when I was um, so Maria and I worked at the tax office together. And <laughs> Woo! Uh, and I quit. Woo! <laughs> um, it was really so. It was really really hard when I worked at the tax office. And Maria took me in, and she was great in in Melbourne when when she worked in Melbourne. And I I experienced a lot of difficulty there with low expectation and some bullying. And I just was not getting anywhere in um, being promoted. You know, I'd worked there for fifteen years, and I was still a low-level employee, and there was lots of low expectation. So, I had an opportunity to work part-time somewhere else, and I took a year's leave without pay. I actually went from depart- another department, but I, I took a year's leave without pay, and um, I worked for this part-time job for a little while, and then I quit that because I got a book deal. And I made a list when I when I went part-time. I was earning very good money at the tax office, and I. Um, and I was in a secure job and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm in a part-time work. So I made a whole list of everything I can do to make money and on it, and on it was writing a book. And that was, while it's not very lucrative writing a book, I'm going to be honest, um, it allowed me to quit my, quit my job at the tax office. It allowed me to put in my resignation and say I'm not going back after that year because I don't need to, I haven't had to ask my parents for money, so I don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to rely on that. So that had been, I guess, you know, a, a good financial benefit in that getting my advance allowed me to have about three months' wage uh, while I looked for other work, and I had that. Um, and then, uh, I guess, in terms of emotional benefit, it's been just a, the the people I've met and the, privi- like the privilege I've had. has been amazing. I've travelled so much since I've been on my book tour. I've been to Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, Aubrey, Wagga, Adelaide. This is my first time in Adelaide. Um, I can't remember where else. Uh, and that's been amazing, like the people that have said that they've read the book and it's meant so much to them, that's been incredible. Um, the biggest disadvantage, I would say, has been the friendships lost.
1: we have any other questions from the audience? Yep. Hi. I was just wondering, what would you say um, has been the greatest lesson that um,
0: writing a book and this whole process has taught you mm, good that question. will stay with you? Thanks, Jala. Very good question. Um, hmm that you shouldn't write a book in bed because you <laughs> fall asleep uh, that also um, mm, yeah i think i i think not to be disappointed like not not to measure yourself by sales or to be putting your worth on that how mu- I, I don't even know how much i how many copies I've sold. And lots of people ask that as their first question, which I have to say, that's a really weird question to ask. as the first question. I mean, it's, I would say it's on par with, have you been sunburnt? So <laughs> um, um, yeah, kind of not measuring my, my worth by the sales, but measuring my worth by what I've contributed to um, the world in that. Um, the other thing I'm finding really tricky is, my husband has not read my book. So if you were to tweet, Darren Hayes and maybe message Adam's handy hands on Facebook, uh, you would <laughs> have maybe have an impact. Um, I found that really hard because there's a, there's a lot about him in the book and I've written very lovingly and he's not a reader and maybe I have to work out that, you know, he's not a reader, but he, he can get the audiobook now, so... Uh, but he probably doesn't want to have his wife in his ear all the time when <laughs> <laughs> she's not there. Uh, so that's been hard as well because I I think I've placed a lot of like, oh my God, I put my whole life into this book and you haven't even read it yet. He's read about three chapters, Um, but he has had four months. Uh, (laughs) So that's been hard. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the other biggest lesson is um, that yeah, just just being thankful for, like I said, you know, for all the opportunities I've had. It's been amazing. And um, being able to work with friends like Ruby and um, also, you know, friends and idols. Like, I did a, a book launch with Annabelle Crabb in Sydney and that came about because I just saw her at the train station and asked her. And that was <laughs> amazing. She catches the train like anyone else. Um, and Bob Evans as well, you know, just... And I had Ginger Gorman and Ginger and I did our... Um, I should have... We should have had a dress code but we did a talk in our pajamas because uh, in the middle of the day because Ginger interviewed me for her book Troll Hunting and I was quite unwell at the time and, and we were staying in the same hotel when she was interviewing for troll hunting and I said, I'm gonna be in my pajamas and she turns up in her pajamas too. So we got to do that and then we're on our on stage in our pajamas for that. And it was really yeah, it was really fun, like just that. I, really gonna,
1: I legitimately was actually going to ask you if you wanted to do this interview in oh, pyjamas tonight. I should <laughs> have. I didn't I bring should've. any
0: this time. No, I did. I did. I lie. I brought a nighty, but it would not have been appropriate because <laughs> I was too cold. Too cold. <laughs> but I had Ugg boots on in Canberra. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do we have any other questions from the audience? These are being good questions.
1: There's someone yeah. over here. Yeah. Chantel.
0: Oh, and one person up there. You've got green yeah. hair. It's great. I like it because I can see the audience here. It's amazing. Um, Hi. Hi. So, um, the thing that I was thinking about was um, the discussion you guys had earlier when you were talking about um, the pressures of being um, an advocate with a disability or doing activism with a disability and being expected to have all the answers and to know everything. And I just wondered, um, has that been a significant pressure Mm. that people expect you to know and, you know, at the end of the day, you're just someone with a lived experience and you're doing the best you can? Do you yeah. You yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's been a lot of pressure. Um, I guess both from disabled people and non-disabled people. There was one night, and I think I wrote about it in the book, that I got this message from a woman who said, um, she's been taught not to look at anyone, not to stare at anyone with a disability or facial difference. But then, should she stare and say hello? What, what should she do? And I had a pretty busy weekend and I filed it away and I was going to think about it and write a response and thought that it would make a great piece for my book. It would make a great bit for my book. And then within 24 hours, she sent me another message. She said, Carly, you haven't responded, so I'm going to take this as an answer. I'm never going to look at or talk to another person with a facial difference again. So I did write about it in my book after that. Uh, So there's that. And also, there's the pressure that um, I should have all answers for everyone. I mean, you know, I've had people message me to say, hey, can you recommend a children's book for someone with like about disability, but not really mentioning disability. And so when I've given them a list of books, they're like, no, this isn't really what we wanted. We didn't even want disability to be the main issue here. And and you just, it's really hard because you can't please everyone. And then there's the not doing activism right in the community. And, you know, everyone's got their own perspective. Everyone's got their own way of doing it. And uh, I don't think the internet gives a really good place to learn and grow because you're constantly being pulled up and constantly being expected to fail. That can be really hard. Um, I think it's just about knowing your values and thinking about um, doing no harm in the community and referring people on when you can't answer their question, like if you, uh, if they're um, experiencing mental health issues or suicidal thoughts, referring them on to helplines or um, referring them on to like, people that are qualified to answer or just blocking them sometimes (laughs) yep so reality my block list is very long Mm. yep do we have another question up there there's that one there yeah thank you
1: how did you find the balance between what you chose to disclose and what you chose to not Mm. while like it's your memoir yeah but you made specific decisions which i respect, But how did you come to those? Yeah.
0: Decisions? Um, well, I've been blogging for a long time, and I was also working at the government while I was blogging, and that gave me a really good balance or boundary setting because there was so much I couldn't write about because I worked with the government. You know, I couldn't talk about government issues when I worked there, and I didn't. And I also never wanted to, to disclose where I lived and uh, like uh, lots of things. Um, and so that kind of that kind of set my values for writing forever. And so now I talk about government issues because I don't have that um, responsibility not to. But I also always ask someone if I can write about them. If I, well, to an extent I guess. Um, You know, if if I'm writing about a situation I won't name, like a difficult (laughs) situation, say ableism, I'm not going to name them. But if I'm writing about a, a friend who I have seen ableism happen to or need their perspective, I'll obviously ask their permission, and there was a lot of permission seeking in the book uh, f- in the book writing process. Um, you know, I, I wanted to write about some difficulties I've had with family members um, being not very understanding of my skin, and y- it was discouraged, so I didn't, because I didn't want to hurt anyone. Um, I actually, I don't even think I sought my parents' permission when I wrote about them but um, I think that was a given uh, they gave me an interview but I don't rem- ever remember filing their permission after that and I think dad said did you even get permission from me sorry dad it's in there anyway we can <laughs> sort that out later Anthony from HarperCollins. Um, <laughs> um yeah I think it was it, yeah it was tricky because I didn't it, that that whole coming out as a victim thing I didn't want to be that victim in the book, um, but also I wanted to make a balance. Um, I there was I, I wrote about a, an instance when I was young that how I came how I never thought I had a disability because I didn't see anyone like me, and I wrote a lot about this woman who was a girl at my school who had a disability, and because she looked different to me, I didn't think I had a disability, and I ended up getting permission from her in person, and then for some reason we lost touch, and. I couldn't get the written permission from her and I ended up leaving a lot of that out because I didn't want to paint her in a way that she might not want to be painted. Um, Yeah, so that was hard. Um, There there was a chapter I wrote, so last year I did an interview on radio which was very difficult with a radio presenter in Melbourne and he's a very well-known presenter who's high profile and we talked about microaggressions and he demonstrated those microaggressions by saying that my face would be good at Halloween and asking me about my sex life and talking quite badly about Stella Young um, by saying that she went and died on us. Anyway, so I did this interview and that made national headlines and it was quite ridiculous but the great thing was people picked up on the ableism that was happening, the discrimination that was happening and it was talked about a lot in the media and so I actually was really worried about how that would cut my career down with the ABC because at the time I was m- mo- mostly a radio volunteer, so all the spots that, you, that they invite guests on radio, they're not paid. So I was all volunteer. But I, you know, I want to I do something, I want to do some paid work. And I have been doing paid work for them on their website and on t- um, some TV stuff. Anyway, but I wasn't invited back to ABC Melbourne for 10 months they ignored my pictures, I had regular relationship, I had a regular guest spot on the afternoon show, and every article about him I was mentioned in. Um, I tweeted about the ABC yesterday, actually, and I joked to my agent I'm probably going to be mentioned in the media. Um, then. The My editor asked me to write about this. She said, you haven't written about this. And I said, oh, that was another like form of emotional labour. And I did, and I, I ended up not mentioning him because I talked to other people who had had other issues with hosts there. And um, they said that they don't mention that host's name because they don't want to give them the power. And so I decided not to mention this name. I did a talk the other day actually, and I was talking about this, and this guy, he was campaigning for public radio, and then he yells, like, he he yells, hey, that was... and he named the person. And then it was being recorded and I asked them to beat that out. But, you know, I take so much care in not naming this person because I don't want to give them power. Yeah, so, anyway. I don't know if he's read the book. (laughs) <laughs> I do know he's read Ginger Gorman's book, which I've interviewed in, and he wasn't very happy.
1: <laughs> do we have any other questions? One, yeah, one I day think here. maybe we'll do one more question and then we'll uh-huh. finish up.
0: Hi. Hi. I'm just curious if um, when you started blogging, mm-hmm. was it a personal thing or was it an activism thing? Yeah, it was a personal mm-hmm. thing. <coughs> Sorry, that wine is not <coughs> in the right hole. I'm sorry, that sounded awful. (laughs) I've never said that before. Um, (laughs) um, Sorry, I apologise. Mum, if you're listening. Um, She loves a red wine, it'll be fine. Uh, Yes, it was absolutely personal. So, I started blogging in 2001 and I blogged on a blog called Diaryland and it was like tweet. It It was almost like tweets. I just write about the boy that I loved that was on the internet who I wrote about in the book, actually. He catfished me. Um, he catfished me for six years. And his, his ex-girlfriend, who I found out, um, that's how I found out that he catfished me, because she called me. Um, she came to my Brisbane launch. It was great. We got, we're friends, like, his ex-girlfriend. Uh, anyway, and I wrote about her in the book. Um, anyway, yeah, so that was completely, like, just about me. And I had that chance to, um, past to not disclose my disability, not disclose my skin. I didn't show anyone my face until very many years later. But then I started, I had a few blogs and then I started um, this blog, which was called Tuning to Radio Kali for a long time. And that was because a friend at work said that I talk and change the subject a lot. So he's like, that's just like Radio Kali, like, you know, changing radio stations. Um, and so I named it that because I thought I was going to talk about a lot. And I started that blog because I was at a university doing my Master's of Communication, and I wanted to develop a portfolio. And I didn't write about my skin until a long, a long time in. Maybe, oh, no, when I say long time, I would say maybe three months in. But I, start, I had started writing about my skin on a MySpace blog, but not really, I didn't really write that much. But when I did, then I'd started to get traction and lots of people were, um, relating and lots of people were finding me and I thought, yeah, this, this could be a thing. Um, one of the things I do want to mention, and I think I mentioned it to Ruby, um, the, I, my, my friend died last week, my friend Camille, and she's written in the book, she wrote about um, about being a full-time worker. And how hard it is to maintain a full-time job and have a chronic illness. And we used to talk a lot about this and the guilt that we feel about having a sick day when we are really sick, but we don't want to be a burden on because people won't employ us. And you know, so um, I met her through blogging, and we used to write for this disability website called Divine. And Divine was a website in Victoria run by the Victorian government. It's not there anymore, but um. I started writing about my illness and on my blog, and then I submitted those posts to Divine, and it got published. And I remember when I was writing about that, uh, writing for them in June two thousand and ten. I found her her first blog post, and she wrote a lot about how blogging really helped her as well. And um, last week, I was writing her. Uh, she asked lots of people to, or a few people, to <coughs> do a eulogy at her funeral, and I one. Sorry, she didn't want to call it a funeral. might have to edit that out. She wanted to call it a life celebration. So I had to talk at her life celebration. And um, I was reading our first messages together. I scrolled back through um, to 2010. And um, she said that it was because of me that she became more active in talking about her illness because she was so scared about um, disclosing her illness. She, she was then on the lung transplant list and she had a transplant six years ago uh, three years after we met and then um, this year she got cancer which was unrelated. But she said that she, at the time she was really scared to disclose and then she was able to talk so much about being on the transplant list and what it was like after transplant and raising money and awareness and it was incredible and I didn't know, I couldn't remember that from 2010 and so it was really nice to see that she had uh, credited me for that Mm -hmm. all those years ago and she's done such an amazing job so uh, yeah, Uh, you know I think um, blogging really really helped and um, at her life celebration there were so many bloggers there because all these craft bloggers that she knew had come and come from around Australia and around the world, someone from New Zealand came. So I think that's the testament to the power of blogging, it was amazing. Mm. So yeah, yeah. and I've been reading her blog this week and it was great because I don't blog that much anymore and she didn't have time after she got her lungs, she just lived this amazingly full life, but she had this amazing presence on Instagram and I was reading her blog and we used to blog about going out and stuff, you know, it was great, Mm. yeah. Mm All right, well, I
1: think um, that sort of concludes the question part of the evening. Um, Thank you to our Auslan interpreters. Thank Um, you. Thank you, Carly, for sitting down and having a chat with us. Thank you to everyone. Yeah. You've been
0: great. (laughs) Um, You can come out and get your book signed and buy a book. Please um, tell Darren Hayes about the book. So you don't have to tell <laughs> Jack or Bob, it's fine. They know they've got it. Um, tell Adam about the book, he's my husband. Mm. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Cool. <laughs>